Joanna. Rowdy people at the back. Which means we're going to start. This is what I love about our church, which means we're sitting down. Public shaming works. I'll start naming names. <laughs> All right, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our amazing community uh, and that we hang out with you and make jokes about splash zones and all sorts of fun things like that. Thank you that you meet us where we're at. Be with Joanna. Uh, she's sharing from you to us. Uh, open our ears and give her peace. In your name, amen. everybody. As Wade already said, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Joanna. I'm a, a part of the teaching team and the leadership team here at Eastside Vineyard. Um, that was our amazing lead pastor, Gordy, who left with all the kids. He and his wife love to do that a few times a year because they're so good at it and they're really excited about being with the kids this morning. And uh, yeah, it's good to be with you today. We're, we've been going through a series that we started about mid-May on sacred practices. So things that we can do in our everyday lives that help us connect more with God. And um, we have a go our goal for this year as a church community is to try and seek to be more, what it says on the screen, more lovingly present to God to ourselves and to other people. And so we've been going through the, oh, that was wrong. Okay, great. So we've been going through this series with, to help equip us with these tools for everyday life as a follower of Jesus. And Gordy, who is an incredible theologian, has done most of the sermons for this series so far. And he's been talking about really ancient practices, like the Lectio Divina, which is a slow, sacred reading of, of scripture, or talking about the Ignatian Examen, which was a, a church leader by the name of, of Ignatius of Loyola. So it was thinking about what is, has been something that's given you life, and what's something that has taken life away. And he gave a whole sermon about waiting about how waiting on God is a sacred practice, making space for silence. So all these things that we've been going through. And so as teachers, we actually were given an incredible amount of freedom this summer in that Gordy said, you know, I really think that I'd like to just follow the lectionary. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this tradition, a lot of the global Christian church, so Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, another law, a lot of major denominations follow a set lectionary where we go through the church readings. And our church does the same. We don't do all the readings that are suggested, but every week we do at least one psalm, and we often do the gospel reading. And so my invitation this week was to take the gospel reading that I don't even know what would be accurate to say. For sure, thousands, maybe millions of other Christians are also reading and meditating on this Sunday, which we already read together, which was the story of Mark 6, where Jesus comes back to his hometown of Nazareth and is in the temple reading. And my challenge that was given to me was to try and think about what sacred practice that is in my own life that's connected to this reading. And so my sacred practice that I've been using, I don't even really know if it has a name. <laughs> so this is not the Ignatian Examine, but I think it has a lot of value to it. And, and what I've called it is, is sacred awareness. And it's some tools that have been given to me over the last couple years as I've been on my journey that have been really helpful for me. And I feel like, um, as I share it with you today, I'll share with you what I feel like has been valuable for me. And so we've also done that through the series on Father's Day. Our friends Matt and friend Mark talked about what had been valuable for them. And that's just come out naturally in this sermon series as Gordy has been sharing what's worked for them. Um, but for me, I, I know that it has value because 
I believe it has to do with the way that God has created us and God's created our bodies and minds and spirits and emotions and he's created us to be good. So we're going to go through and that's the lens that we're looking at Mark sex with today. Um, the idea of this church goal that we're doing for the year about being lovingly present to God and to each other and to ourselves, one of the things I thought was really valuable that bared repeating that Gordy has already shared in one of the other sermon series. I listened to several because I had missed a few with being in kids' church or being away. I think it was in his sermon about the examine. But one of the things he said that I thought was so valuable was that learning to be present to ourselves and noticing what's happening within us and what's happening with our emotions is not a self-centered thing. It's not selfish, and it's not, it doesn't mean you're only focused on what's going on. It actually does allow us to be more connected to God and to other people around us when we do have some self-awareness. And there's a really huge trend right now in the world talking about mindfulness. But I really believe that this is because we live in a world now where so much of our lives is run by distraction, in particular with our smartphones and the speed of life that we have, that so often our focus is being divided. I mean, even just being in relationship with other people, we'll be doing one thing and it'll get here and here and here. And simply pausing to be aware of what's going on with ourselves is actually a really valuable tool. And so what I'm calling focused awareness today is a tool that I've been given through just various pieces of wisdom and particularly through my counselor, who's a believer, who's been walking with me the past couple of years as I've been coming out of um, a breakdown that, was man that manifested in cognitive impairment. So what that looked like for me was that I was under a great deal of stress from a lot of different situations in my life for a long period of time. Um, and I've talked to a lot of different experts to try and figure out what on earth happened because it wasn't an easy textbook thing to explain and I would try and Google it and nothing would come up. Um, but, oh shoot, I just lost my train of thought. That happens to me sometimes, that's okay. <laughs> I'm learning to walk with this limp. So, the mindfulness piece, yes, distraction, and our brains are going here, 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 and here. And so, I can't remember what I was going to say, but for me, anyway, oh, my counselor. So, it's been very difficult for me to get straight answers about what happened to my brain. Because what happened was due to stress, I stopped losing the ability for um, reading, and speech and language were the first things to go. So as somebody that loves to talk and loves to read and loves to communicate, that was all very scary. And a lot of you have been a part of this journey with me all the way along, so I'm sharing for those people who have no idea and have never met me before the, the, the bit of the background, but it's been learning to walk with this limp, but part of the healing has been trying to be more present trying to be more aware, and trying to be more centered on what's going on within me in relationship to the other people around me and in relationship to who God is. And so that has been a really practical piece of my healing journey. Um, and I didn't know how to bullet point this any smaller, so I'm just going to say learning to pay our attention to ourselves is critical, and learning to pay attention to God and other people because we were made by God, in God's image. And so I think, because I believe that God created us, any tool that we have that is a blessing to us and the way that we're wired, I believe is a good thing because God made us and God knows how we're wired. So that's the lens that we'll go back through and look at this um, gospel reading one more time. So we already read this gospel reading this morning. Um, it's from Mark 6, and it's called The Prophet Without Honor. I'm going to speak into the mic because we record all of our sermons so that they're available online. I would really encourage you, if you haven't heard all the sermons in this series, 
They're so good. Man, Cordy is, he's good at what he does. Um, so starting here, reading from Mark 6, verses 1 to 6. I think that says 6 at the beginning because it was chapter 6. That's supposed to be a 1 in the verses. Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. So where there was, where Jesus was coming from, the story just before this is the lake at Generesis. I don't know how to say it, and there's even debate about how it's spelled. But the story, if you read the gospel stories, where there's the pigs and the guy who's demon-possessed, and the demons say, no, Jesus, don't do it. Let us go into the pigs instead. And then the pigs all run over the thing and run over a cliff, and all the townspeople say, whatever you do, just leave. Just get out of here. But previous, and then they go across the lake, and they run right into an official named Jairus whose daughter is dying. And Jesus is going to Jairus' house to help save Jairus' daughter, and he gets interrupted on the way there. And by a woman who touches him in faith, and Jesus feels energy come out of him, and she's been having an issue of, of blood, of bleeding. So in that culture, she would have been ceremonially unclean. She would not have been able to be near people or touch people her whole life. And she takes this huge risk in the crowd and touches him, and you can tell. Who touched me? And his disciples are like, you're surrounded by people. Everybody's touching you. But he can feel that something, some energy, some faith has gone out of him. And he stops in the middle of on the way to save a person that's dying or raise a dead person. So the next time you feel, I feel, like we're just too busy to stop for something, super big role model there. That Jesus was like, this person is literally dying and I still have time to stop because the Father told me to stop. And he commends this woman for her faith. You have, your faith has healed you. He acknowledges her publicly. He restores her honor. And then he goes and raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. And also says to people, don't, don't tell anybody. But there's a number of things that happen before this um, where there's this focus on faith. You'll even remember a couple of Sundays ago when we were doing the Lectio Divina about Jesus calming the storm. And he says, do you still have no faith? And so this is an emphasis that keeps coming up in it, that Mark seems to be pointing out. Jesus commending people for their faith or people that didn't have faith. So this is a big thing that's going on. And when it says he's coming to his hometown, that's Nazareth. And he's in it says, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's the wisdom that has been given to him? And what are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? So the synagogue would have been a really important place for Jesus growing up. It was the center of worship in the Jewish community. There could be a synagogue in any community where there were 10 married men, and there would have been, that would have been a place where he went. It would have been like, my kids who have, were born into this church, who come to this church their whole lives, so would be like, they've been going away traveling, and they came back. And it was customary that leaders could invite people to come and teach in the synagogue. So he came to do this teaching, and this word about the people who said, um, when they heard him teaching, they were amazed. I really like looking up words in the original language because I love the nitty-gritty of, of what it means. And the, the original language, the original word that's used here is explesso, which sounds like, or maybe explasso. I listened to the pronunciation, I can't remember. It sounds like espresso, but basically it means like to strike out of your senses, or like to totally um, uh, like break something out. So when Gory this morning used the phrase blown away, that's the closest translation that we use. Like it's this expression that means like blowing somebody away. They couldn't believe it. And there's one commentator I read that said the way that the Jewish leaders would have taught in that context would have always been in reference to other teachers. So they always would have been referring to other rabbis, other, uh, other references, but they, there's this idea that 
Jesus spoke with authority that came from him and his father. And so that there was something really unique and, and really different about that. And so there's these pieces of, of all these stories previous to this about faith and then people being really blown away. So they're amazed, they're astonished at, like blown away by this wisdom, but instead of thinking, oh yeah, this is somebody who is totally worthy to be worshiped and followed, um, they get a little bit of what the Aussies and the Brits call tall poppy syndrome. I don't know if you've heard this expression before. I definitely, I, Wikipedia said Brits. I don't know, I've never heard a British person say it, but I've heard my Aussie friends say it. But essentially, this is a concept that's through many cultures, sometimes even our own, which means we like to make sure that everybody knows that we're, no, nobody's better than each other. If you get really famous, we're, we're going to tend to knock that tall poppy's head off. So it's a little bit like, who do you think you are? And that's how this next section is said that, that Rick read so well. They go on to say, verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this this guy, this from down the road here? Isn't this Mary's son? This James's brother, Joseph, Judas, Simon? Isn't, isn't this, aren't these his sisters that are sitting right here with him? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, and is in his own home. So this idea where they're saying, like, doesn't this guy just work with his hands just like us? Like, he's not one of these fancy temple preachers. And there was a real hierarchy to the synagogue at that time. Um, they were, the synagogue themselves were placed in prominent places in the town, so often on a hill, so it was a physically elevated place. But one of the things I learned this week when I was researching this is that inside the synagogue, they actually had different seating. And important people sat on benches, and common everyday people sat on the floor, which was usually made of dirt or flagstones, or in very elaborate synagogues, it would be made of mosaics. Um, but the speaker or the reader would stand on a platform. And Torah readers sat in the place that was called Moses' seat, or the seat of honor, because they were reading Moses' words. So he was actually physically, very likely, would have been standing in a different place than the people that he grew up with or other carpenters or people of that same social status who would have been like that. And the question is basically, who do you think you are? And the issue is that Jesus knew exactly who he was. <laughs> Jesus totally knew exactly who he was. Um, but family stuff's hard. Hometown stuff's hard. People that have watched you grow up, they know your stuff. Now, Jesus was without sin, but I mean, I don't know. Who, who knows what that was like, right? Like, who knows what that would have been like to come back and teach? Where it's evident, his authority is evident. They're amazed at that. But yet, this, this astonishment. And so then, the next piece actually talks about Jesus being amazed. And the last verses in 5 and 6 says, he, Jesus, could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. This is the gospel of Christ. Amen. So this word is actually a different word than the first amazed in the original. The first amazed means like be struck out of your senses blown away. But this second amazed, talking about Jesus, babe, can you pass me my sweater? It's a little cold. Um, this second amazed, talking about Jesus, has more to do with um, wondering, like being wonderstruck or marveling. Um, so again, a little bit more like, seriously? <laughs> huh. The definition says to properly wonder at or marvel at something, to be astonished out of your senses or awestruck, wondering very greatly, or to cause wonder. And so I started to think, what would cause Jesus to wonder? Because he knew everything. So I think 
the thing, and there's only a couple times in the gospel where it says that Jesus was amazed at something. One was here, and one was um, in the gospel of Luke when he meets a centurion that's a man that's full of faith, and Jesus says, he, the, the gospel says he was amazed at his faith. I didn't research which amazed that was. I realized that this morning. I have to go back and look. But um, this, is, this is what happened, is that Jesus is, is um, thinking, you know, going on here and so as I tried to use my imagination and I'm you know maybe you guys have another thought on this but my thought was if Jesus is perfectly lovingly present all the time to who God is and to who he is and to who the other people are and he grew up in that church I feel like maybe what was blowing him away or making him his wonder was, how can you not see this? How could you have missed this? How could you have missed who I am? How could you have missed who God is? And what's keeping you from seeing this? And I, it's interesting, I did a little Lectio Divina when, this, when, when I was first starting it, and I felt like I heard the word faith. And I thought, How's faith connected here? But then I thought, faith faith is actually pretty connected to how we see ourselves and others, especially if we have history with people and we know their stuff and we know things that have gone wrong in the past. Sometimes it takes a great deal of faith to have trust in each other, to take another risk again. Or, I mean, family stuff is hard. This is why it's hard to hang out with your family because they know all the junk that you ever did. And also, I don't know about you, but I can be like someone who will stand up here and very excitedly give a sermon, be a teacher in other places, be professional, be a leader. I can get with my siblings and I can suddenly be 15 emotionally. <laughs> and I remember saying out loud to somebody like, what's the deal with that? I'm this totally functional adult woman in all of these other areas of my life. And then it's family, family. And I have a great family. I have a great family of really loving, amazing people that are all trying to work on themselves all the time. But even that can be hard. Because if you have hard stuff about your family and your family's awesome, you have to go through all the work in counseling to first be willing to talk about your awesome family in a way that might say that they're not perfect. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience or anything. So Jesus knew, right? He knew who he was. But one of the things, amazing things that Gordy says in, in his sermon, um, one of the ones in this series, again, sorry, I listened to three this week, so they're all blurred, but they're all good, so get them in there, is he's, I think when he, it was when he was talking about waiting. And he was talking about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he says... How do we be lovingly present so we get to a place where we can see what is obvious? And I don't know about you, but so often that'll be the profound revelation that God gives me is the thing I already am, the thing I'm already doing, the place I've already been put, you know, the stuff I'm already supposed to be doing. But these people in Nazareth They could not see the forest for the trees. They could not see who Jesus was. They could not get over themselves, whether that's because they were sitting on the floor or maybe they didn't want to be carpenters or maybe they thought he was elevating himself higher than he should be. But whatever their stuff was, it kept them from being lovingly present. And so, yeah, it's this idea of faith, right? I think it's not just faith that miracles could happen, but faith that Jesus could be more than they saw, more than they had perceived about who he was. And it's interesting because Mark, as a gospel writer, emphasizes that Jesus was a teacher. He mentions it over and over again, mentions it 39 times in the gospel. He talks about him teaching, being the teacher, being the rabbi. So this is a big deal to him, that this is who Jesus was. So for me, in sharing with you a practice that has been helpful for me, 
and um, I'm, which I'm choosing to call uh, focused awareness. Um, there's a couple ways that I've used this practice. So the first time it was given to me, it was a way to help me both manage anxiety and also to actually help heal the way my brain was working. Because what I was told by tests that I was given was that there was nothing degenerative happening with my brain. Because I could read a book for pleasure, but I couldn't read and understand anything that was information that I needed to take in. So there was nothing wrong with the actual process of what my brain could do. There was something way deeper than anything I had control over that was shutting me down. And so the first thing was an exercise that happened in stillness. And it's a really simple exercise. And I'm sure it's got a million roots in all kinds of things, and it probably has a proper name, but one of the wonderful things that I've discovered in the last few years, both in my own journey and also with our youngest son, who is on the autism spectrum, and we've gone through a huge journey with having him diagnosed and different things. When we ask God for wisdom with him, and we try and see him and notice like it took us years, embarrassingly years, of being in church with him before we went, oh, every time he's here, he keeps building tents. He keeps hiding under things and covering himself with flags and make, promising us that he won't have to see people. And then it wasn't until somebody was like, yeah, that's an evident sign of distress. And <laughs> you maybe should allow your son to remove himself during the music because... He's just is continually exhibiting signs of stress. And sometimes as a parent, you feel like, how can we not see that for three years, every time that happened, he hid and made flat? Like, I don't know. Like, we would just, I remember one time Monica came into church and she was like, is this a sermon illustration that you have going on here? And I was like, no, that's the tent that I promised Pax I would make him so that he would come to church today. But any time that we stopped and saw him, and noticed him and asked God for wisdom of what to do, we would come up with some creative solution. And then we've had a number of times where we've had professionals who've said to us, that's occupational therapy. That's bilateral such and such a thing. That's this and this and this and this. How did you know how to do that? And we would just say like, we just noticed what worked or we just tried to keep track of it. But part of me wants to say like, it's just the divine wisdom of God. Like it's just what works. And so what was suggested to me and what was helpful was as I had anxiety going on or just had a really, 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 really busy mind was this super um, simple practice. And I feel like it's helpful for me with my anxiety because it forces me to come into the present a lot of times my anxiety is about what's happened in the past that I wish I could fix or what's going to happen in the future that I'm worried about. And so many of God's promises for us are right now. Do not worry about tomorrow. I am with you. I am your ever-present help in times of trouble. That's what Psalm 46 says. I'm right here with you now. I'm going to carry your load for you today. But not back there. You can forget your past. And not the few, please stop having that imaginary conversation, Joanna, because I can't be there in the future in the imaginary conversation that hasn't happened yet. I'll be with you then, but right now, while you're hanging the laundry, having the imaginary conversation about the thing that you're really worried about, I can't be here with you. So this is an act that grounds me in the present. It often leads me to gratitude. Often. Even if I'm feeling another emotion, what will come out with me, out for me, is eventually, I'm so grateful. Thank you, God, I'm so grateful for this piece. I'm so grateful for that piece. And Psalm 100 says, enter God's gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And for me, gratitude is a way that I can gain access to being with God when everything else feels out of control. If I can come to a place where I can find gratitude in that moment, it is actually the door that leads me into God's presence. So that's another reason why it's been helpful for me. And it helps me connect with myself and know who we are. As we've talked about, it's good. I was hanging out with my friend Andy the other day. He's a good friend of ours. He pastors at the vineyard in Winnipeg. And he was asking me about what was going on. 
And I was telling him about some different things that I had become aware of, but a lot of it was things that I was realizing that I had always been or that God had promised me that I, you know, that I, who I was, was specifically talk about pastoring, saying, I've learned in the last three years since I've stopped officially pastoring is that I'm a pastor. I can't stop being a pastor. It doesn't matter if nobody's paying me to be a pastor. I love being a pastor. That's what I love more than anything else. But it took me a long time to sort out all the pieces in my head that were about that role, that position in society. Me, I mean, it was connected to so many things for me. I can tell you sometime over coffee. But, but coming to a place where I went, it's okay if I never get paid, if I never have another business card that says on it, this is who I am, this is who I am because this is who God's made me to be. So that's me. And Andy said, man, isn't it amazing how much of our spiritual development comes through self-awareness? And I said, what do you mean by that? He just said, just what you just said. Just figuring out who we are. God showing us who we are. So much of our development is about that. I was like, that's really good. I'm going to put that in my sermon. It's really great. So this is the very simple practice that's been so helpful for me. And I now use it in two different ways. And I'm going to share it with you, um, how I use it for both those times. So the first time I do it is when I'm in uh, a place where I'm actually intentionally focusing on quiet. Often it's by myself in the morning. And it's really simple. You identify any sensory input that's around you. Something you can see, something you can hear, a sensation of something that's in or around your body, just anything, something that is around you. And then what you do is you just describe it in three words. So noticing. So here's my may the force be with you water bottle that my friend Hillary gave me for my birthday. And it's, I just would say it's shiny. It's kind of cool to the touch. And it's sharp. It's got a piece here. I should probably stick some duct tape on, but I haven't done that yet. So those first three things have nothing to do with your emotions about whatever you're seeing, hearing, feeling, touching, tasting. It's purely you noticing a thing. So it could be, I'm noticing this breeze that's coming through the window on my face. That's cool, it's really soft, and it feels kind of warm. So that's it, three things. And then you then identify three words that describe how you feel about it. So I could say, I really love my Star Wars water bottle. I love that my friend knows me well enough to know that a huge part of my identity of who I am as a woman was formed by who Princess Leia was. I can tell you about that over coffee. I love that she knows that it's beautiful and, and pink. I really am so grateful for this water right now because I'm talking way too fast and I need a drink of water. So I'm going to say that I'm grateful. So I feel grateful. I feel grateful that I'm known. And I love Star Wars. So that's how I feel about that right now. So it's super simple. It's about it. It was so simple, in fact, that I kind of couldn't believe it two years ago when this was the only practice that my counselor gave me to help heal my brain. It's been astonishing at what this has done to help heal my brain. I don't understand the science behind it, but what I believe about who God is is that he made the world around us, he made me, and that by me noticing and connecting with what's happened, it grounds me and keeps me present. It often enables me to come to him with gratitude about something, especially if my mind's racing away, and it allows me to notice who I am in my body which is good. One of the things that Gordy talked about also in what this series is the fact that the flesh that's written about in scripture simply means anything that we're doing without God. Anything that we're doing without God's help. So that's, um, 
that's the first way that I use this. The second way that I've been using it lately has been as a part of this piece of noticing and knowing who I am. And I told you all the last time I shared about having to find ways to heal my brain doing something that I love. So I'm figuring it out. I'm working in the garden, but it's really hard. I have a busy family. I have lots going on. We do have a kid with special needs who takes a lot of attention almost all the time, and there's consequences to that for our other kids and for us. And so I said, I'm trying to find a hobby. Like, I'm trying to find time, but it's really intense. And my counselor said to me, use that same exercise again. But now that you've had practice doing it, sitting down and be quiet, she said, use it all the time wherever you are. Because if who you are is always in reference to all the other people around you, right? If who I am is always understood by how I'm caring for my kids or how I'm relating to my husband or how I'm relating to you guys, if it's always in relationship, it's sometimes really hard for us to separate and know who are we just in Christ? Who's just me when I'm not relating to anybody else? And for me, I'm so relationally focused. That's really hard. But I've realized lately that I'm such a peacemaker that I often don't form opinions about anything. Because I just want to wait to see what everybody else thinks, and then I'll either agree or disagree with all of you, and I'll just keep the peace in the room. I will, I'm thinking, I'm a 45-year-old woman. I want to have my own opinions about stuff other than Star Wars or Who Shop. You know, like, I want to know that. But part of that is figuring out who I am. And she said to me, you don't have to keep looking for a big hobby. You don't have to look at what she said. You just have to notice what you like and what you don't like. She said, you can be just hanging the laundry. And in the middle, you can do this. I'm looking at my laundry. It's very linear. It's neat. It's all in a row. It's out on the line. How does that make me feel? I have these new clothes pegs from Ikea. I got them on clearance. They're turquoise blue, which is my favorite color, and they all match. And I used to have broken, mismatched clothes pegs, and I have to tell you, I love my Ikea clothes pegs, and this has been a big part lately. I hang it on the line, and then I stop and I go, I love this. This is something I know about me. I like this. Or figuring out, I really don't like that thing when that happens. But it's something that you can do Noticing who you are, and where you are, and what you like. The silence part at the beginning of church, so hard. Those of you who haven't noticed already, I'm really sorry if you sit near him. My son hates the silence part at the beginning of church. He doesn't know what to do. So almost every time at church, when Gordy says, notice how you're feeling, almost every time it's like super anxious, because my kid's going to melt down in a second now. So just trying to be like, just notice, notice. And the big one for me is not immediately needing to fix. Me, the people around me, the stuff that's going on. One of the things that happened after my breakdown was I went to the store to buy cookies. <laughs> oh, I went to the store to buy cookies. And I was standing in front of this shelf of cookies. And the way that I understand the voice of God to be, I believed that I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, kind of cookies do you like? I was like, you have no idea. I always take turns. I'll buy the ones that Wade likes one week, and then I'll buy ones that the other kid likes the other week, and I'll buy ones other kids like. A big part of healing for me has honestly been buying the cookies that I like and figuring out what that is. And other people share, I have great taste. They like the cookies that I like too. But I didn't realize how much that was a part of being lovingly present to myself and to God and to the other people around me. So we're going to practice. It doesn't take a super long time. We're going to do it just right here. It can be whatever you want can be the feeling of, like, if you really like the soft sweater that you're wearing. If you like the window, you can close your eyes and hear the sound. But it's really simple. So it's, we're doing this one 
that's in silence, so I'll go back one. It's this one. So in a time of quiet, for grounding or centering, takes hardly any time at all, but you're just going to notice and name three non-emotional things, three facts. That window there is colorful, and it's light, and I don't know the name of the geometric shape that makes it up, but probably Matt Good does, so I'll ask him later. It's swirly, it has a dedication in it, I'm noticing that. But how does that make me feel? And that's where we can enter God's presence. We're just going to do that for a second. And God's already with us, but I'm just going to take a breath and invite Thank you, God, that you're already with us. Ask that you would silence anything that does not belong to you in the name of the Lord Jesus and allow our own minds to be aware of the goodness that's in us, from you, in you. Amen. Okay, I'm take like two minutes. So that's it, pretty simple. But if we're talking about these being tools in our toolbox, I like to think of this as the, you know, it's like the little Allen key. It fits way more than IKEA furniture, but it's a little tool that's had a really big impact for me. And I think one of the things I've been most aware of in my walk, you go this way. So I've already kind of said this stuff, but Jesus knew who he was. He was connected to the Father. He only did what he saw the Father doing. So I think, I like to think he was kind of in this place all the time. He was really good at listening to himself and to others. And I, this is a review, but um, it's connected to how we see ourselves and others, how much faith we can have, I think, for ourselves and for others, that capacity about what can, God can do. And growth comes from awareness. And this, interestingly enough, is the verse that came up, and it could be just because this is the verse that Karen Chu keeps giving me all the time for everything, like anything, anytime we talk, Karen's just like, this is the verse of, the, of life right now. But um, I think it's fascinating that we don't have to be afraid when we give our lives to God about losing ourselves. When God, when Jesus is the Lord of our lives, and he asks us to give up things that are not good for us or, us or healthy for us or change our habits or change our ways. We never have to be afraid that we're going to lose ourselves. We're going to become more and more and more and more ourselves because God made us. And that only makes crazy kingdom sense. So this verse where, Peter, where Paul says to the Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So it seems backwards then. We'd spend all this time focusing on who we are and how we feel about stuff if we've been crucified with Christ and we don't live anymore. But it's one of the mysteries of the kingdom that somehow that brings us closer to Jesus by knowing more and more. Oh, that's my reminder to pray for my friend. Sorry, I didn't turn it off. Jesus, please bless Heather and Neil. Oh, God, I can't make my phone work. See, just don't stop being you. Anyway, um, so I think that's incredible. This is why the emphasis I put this. The life I now live, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I know people have spent years unpacking this verse, and I'm just kind of skimming it. But for me, this is what came to mind, is that this is this incredible mystery, this incredible mystery of faith, that we can give up anything that God asks us to give up, and somehow we become more and more and more ourselves. We become more and more and more who God made us to be, who he created us to be. The things he's given us to do that we love, that's been my prescription by a neurologist. Find something you love to do. That's what's going to heal your brain. Find something that gives you joy. Find something that you're thrilled at. Be more of who God's made you to be, and that will actually heal you and make you better. And yet at the same time, I've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I just... <sighs> I just ah, it's too much for me. Ah, this is uh, a prayer that Gordy's already shared once in this, serv- in this sermon series. But it just couldn't have been more perfect than this exercise about tuning into our senses, what we see, what we hear, how we breathe, this, this prayer of St. Augustine. And it says this. Late have I loved you, beauty so old and so new. Late have I loved you, And see, you were within. And I was in the external world and sought you there. And in my unlovely state, I plunged into those lovely creative things which you made. You were with me in here. And I was not with you. The lovely things kept me far from you. Though if they did not have their existence in you, they had no existence at all. You called and cried loud and shattered my deafness. You were radiant and resplendent and you put to light my blindness. You were fragrant and I drew in my breath and now I pant after you. I tasted you and I feel but hunger, oh, I tasted you, and I feel but hunger and thirst for you. You touched me, and I am set on fire to attain the peace which is yours. So that's the place that we're going to go into receiving communion today, the place that we can taste what Jesus has for us, we can hear what Jesus has for us. Um, Our kids are going to come back in and join us for communion, One practical note, parents, is that the sign-up sheet for your kids is actually at the back table. So they're going to come join you now for communion, but if you could please make sure to sign out, that would be great. Kids, we've just been praying quietly, so just come in in a nice, quiet way and find your mama. Benny, your mommy's over there. Find your moms and your dads or your parents or people that came with you, and we're going to keep getting ready to have our communion together. And um, we found a great Christ Lives lives in Me song, so we'll play that during communion. Um, But I would just invite you to participate in communion today with all of your senses as you're able, noticing what you like, noticing what you love, noticing who God's made you to be, and trusting God to minister to you in that place. So, hey, look, we, yeah, after you deliver that, we'll just, no problem. We're just going to say a prayer at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds good. So hey, we'll just pray together first. Thanks so much. Great. Awesome. Gordy, are you okay? Do you want to come do that, or am I good to keep? Okay. okay. All right. So if, you found, if, you met, if you've all found your seats, found your place, great. We're going to make ourselves ready to um, remember Jesus' death for us 
through taking bread and juice and crackers, but those are resembling the, the bread and the wine that Jesus had with his friends, the last meal that he had with his friends before he died. Father God, giver of all good gifts, we ask that you would come to us now. And by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the sacrifice of your son Jesus, that you would bless these gifts and that you would make them for us a sacred reminder of your physical body that was broken for us, your blood that was poured out for us, that you might live in us and we in you, tasting and seeing that you are good, hearing the word that frees us, noticing your goodness. Would you give us the grace today to see what is obvious, and would you reveal for us anew this gift of communion together? Our practice in our church is that we invite anyone to come to the communion table who feels that they are a follower of Jesus, that God has, that you believe that Jesus has died for you, and you can even come receive as an act of faith. If this is something that you haven't done in a while, you can come and receive as an act of faith. So Will and Rick will um, just minister to people first who are not able to uh, take it themselves, and you're very welcome to come up and receive. And um, if you prefer to take it in, uh, with your family and just take it here, you can, or you can take it back to your seat and take it, however is a comfortable place. Um, I said it all. Lord, we bless these gifts in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. Amen. Amen.